Welcome to Barnet Humanist. This is a show about parenting, about ethics, about humanism. Normally I mostly interview kids and we try to get better at talking to our kids about ethics. This time I'm going to be mostly talking to adults. There is a little mini-humanist interview, that'll be the second thing in the podcast. What's going to come first is my interview, first time round actually getting to interview over Skype, Michelle Kelly Irving, who's a researcher and epidemiologist and has some expertise to offer us on education, but also her own views, and she's a mom of two and lives in France, so you'll hear what she has to say about education. It's an education-themed podcast because I also have a discussion with Ali, his views on school funding, and my own little rant is on the Talking Heads report on London schools and their funding. So that's the show. Off we go. This first interview that I've attended on the podcast is of Michelle Kelly Irving. She is a researcher, a public health researcher. Her views on this podcast are more her own, so I did not really ask her to bring in her research so much as her personal opinions. So just as that caveat, she's speaking for herself more than for her career. But her experience and her work obviously inform her opinions. So you're going to hear her talking. You won't, you'll hear me rather feebly in the background because my end of the recording failed, so I rescued her audio. And the first question I asked her was about school funding and the effects that it might have, whether she could compare with France. So here's her response. Funding happens in so, such a different structural way in different countries that it, I think it's, it would be hard to compare policies. But of course, the whole problem with any austerity austerity cuts to public services is that it's, it's extremely short-sighted as a policy and that with education when you start chronically underfunding it that the repercussions last for decades because of their effect on the teacher well-being and on, on the attrition and the turnover of the staff and then on the structures of the buildings of how everything is put together on the programs that of course it's affecting children in a class on x year but it's also you know this uh, chronic effect for a whole cohorts of children going through these structures for over their schooling years so for me it's just so short-sighted because ultimately you end up with with um big problems further down the line when people come out on the other end of the education system and start looking for jobs and start needing to have skills and socio-emotional functions, you know, and how to behave socially and all of these things. So at this point in the conversation, I moved on to my next question, which was on the economic arguments for education, how early investment, early years education, and even secondary school are sort of an investment in the futures of people who then are more literate, more numerate, and have fewer mental health issues, which are more costly to sort out in adult life. And here's what Michelle had to say about that. Often that, that's an argument when it comes to child well-being and when it, when it comes to lifelong health. Especially, it's quite fashionable now to talk about social investment and cost-effective and return on investment and how it's better to invest in early years because it's so much more expensive to invest later, which I completely agree, obviously, that is a huge point. But I suppose the thing that worries me more is not about when is it most cost-effective to spend money, but rather, well, how are our children doing for all that time? 
how are they actually feeling how are they are they learning are they are they well how is this affecting their mental and physical health and if you chronically underfund services that are part of their absolutely everyday experience then that has really drastic effects on them so um, that that worries me i suppose more than the economic argument so my last question was zooming out a little bit asking michelle what she thinks matters most in education what do we really mean when we're talking about the word education that concept that idea for me it's the opportunity that education could potentially bring to people to or to society rather to redress uh, social inequalities and so by that i don't necessarily mean that people all need to become bankers you know that you're you start out from a family of manual workers and that we all and that through education you all become bankers it's some, as, as some sort of social mobility issue that's perhaps one issue of how, one way of of um maybe inequality um being altered but actually what i think's more important is this is about giving children um the sense of who they are and a sense of control over their lives and a sort of literacy that goes well beyond you know alphanumeric literacy but rather figuring things out how to how to figure each other out how to deal with relationships how to deal with the really complex world that we're living in and that um that an education really does um add to that it's that sort of idea this idea of mastery i i feel like i have some say over what's going to happen to me in the future um and that and that also provides people with hopefulness you know and and something to aspire to and for me that's what education should be able to bring and unfortunately a lot of the time doesn't at this point we talked about education and the impact it might be able to have on health in later life in a wider sense and i mean it's through that kind of um skill that you basically give people the resources they need to handle situations that they're confronted with so i'm a researcher and my field of interest is inequalities <laughs> to um to just give an example is that there's something we talk about in health inequalities which is called the inverse care law and i think it was like it came out in the 70s as an idea and what it shows is that when a new initiative or a new policy is made available to everyone in the population So let's say you bring out universal health care like they would in the United States like they they did and then now it's you know and then it sort of went a bit wrong with Obamacare there. Well the first people to figure out how to access that resource that's become available are always the the more well-off people yes. in a society. Yes. So you always get this lag time where the people you most wanted to target are the ones who take the longest to acquire this new policy just because of their lack of resources and because navigating all these systems and administrations and figuring out who to talk to and the language in which to talk to people and having the right accent and all this kind of stuff 
is much harder when you haven't got this sort of skill base for that. You know, the middle and upper class children will acquire those more easily and education can really provide that to children from other backgrounds, you know, including migrant children who may, you know, from their own background be uh, well-off migrants, but they are coming into a completely new set of systems and, and it's, you know, will struggle with all that stuff. Well, the discussion went back and forth on a number of points that didn't record very well, but I'll just leave this last couple of minutes of the recording where we got on to discussing how parenting is integral to education. Um, and it's funny because we've ended up kind of now starting to talk about the question of parenting, but but actually I think perhaps in another whole episode of your podcast that could be an interesting thing because it's really has become a dominant issue in um in how to you how do you address inequalities you know you go through all these different usual suspects of things oh well you could tell people to stop smoking well yeah they already know about that actually and that hasn't helped and so you kind of work your way, well, why are, people, why are people smoking? Oh, they're stressed. And like, why are they stressed? Oh, it's because they don't have any money. And, and then they, you know, why are children struggling at school? It's because things at home are tough. And so it's because of the parents and the parenting. And you kind of work your way back to parenting. And parenting is a really important and interesting issue. And it's, it involves, as you say, this idea of education much more broadly but it's often referred to in a really prescriptive, uh, really value-laden way uh, about, right, this is good parenting and this is bad parenting. And personally, I have a real problem with putting too much of an emphasis on parenting because of the risk of stigma um, and stigmatizing some, ultimately stigmatizing the usual people we always stigmatize in society and this time we're just we're just hitting them over the head with a new term, which is parenting. Um, so um, and it's actually something I'd be interested to 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 explore a bit more because it's something I I, I need to work on uh, parenting. But I would really like to do it in a kind of um, much uh, more you know in a, in an unstigmatizing way. It, it rather like offering people the capabilities and the needs that and the whatever it is they need to be the parent that they can be whatever that is yeah, um, enabling parenting exactly exactly and not not telling people what to do but just making sure that they have what they need to do it so that about wraps it up for the interview and i'd like to thank michelle for all her wisdom and uh, you know, a really interesting conversation and lots of great perspective that she brought there thanks very much for coming on the podcast So I'm here with Bobby. Hello, Bobby. Hi. <laughs> Bobby is five. And we're going to talk about schools. Wee. So, and Una is... Wee. <laughs> we're going to talk about schools and which schools would be the best. And I don't know what you think. Is Hogwarts the best school? Do you want to do magic or do you want to do sports? What would be really cool? Exercise. Exercise. Like what? Everyone. Everyone? Like jumping up and down all day. 
now do a little bit of one and a little bit of the other one and the other one. Uh-huh. And when it's lunchtime afterwards, you do a bit more. Uh-huh. And the more you do it, the more Lego cards you get. <laughs> do, you, do you think there's not enough exercise in school? Yeah. No. No? You think there is enough? Already enough. There's already enough. Well, if you could do any kind of exercise, what would be the best one? Like running and then what else? Like if you could do anything, anything, any sports you wanted. Would you want to do swimming or... You want to do like deep sea diving? Or I know. Flying helicopters? I want to. Run! You just want to run? Yeah. You just, so just running around like in the park? In, in That's big circles. my favourite one. Is it? Yeah. Why, why is it your favourite? Why do you like running so much? Because it makes you faster. Yeah, you do. Well, you do get... start slow, then you get faster. Yeah. Faster and faster. You do get better and better at it as you do, don't you? So, um, I've just got, we've got a book of, um, about Harry Potter, about Hogwarts, and... In Hogwarts, he does different. So he has got his timetable there. So, uh, you, he Harry Potter does uh, defense against the dark arts. You're gonna stop throwing the Lego because it makes a lot of noise. Um, he does potions and history of magic and astronomy. So those are the things they learn about in Hogwarts. What astronomy? So astronomy is when you learn about the planets and space and uh like the universe we know that would you would you like to learn about that at school <laughs> yeah do you think that would be a good thing to do at school no we've already you've already you already do it yeah we've already done it oh wow so you know everything about astronomy now you know where all the different things are in the universe and we made planets. You made planets. Yeah. Oh, is that the planet that you made? That the that, that the green ball of, of like paper of papier mâché. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually the scrambled up newspaper, and then you see what you do is mm. you scramble it all up, and then you can put your name on. Then you paint it. Mm. And paint it and hang it. Ah. So, and you also, you have a bit of a French club at your school. Yes. Yeah. Did you like? Did you like learning French? Even, even at home time, you can. There's French yeah. club. Home time. <laughs> and of, out of all the things that you can do in a school, so like not in Hogwarts, but in a real school. Yeah. In uh, you you can do exercise and you can do you can learn about planets, and you can learn reading and writing and all those things. What do you think is the most important of all the things? 
reading. Reading? Yeah. What, what, why do you think it's the most important? Then when you're grown up, you'll know how to read. Ah. Well, why do you need to know how to read as a grown up? Then when you're grown up, it's much harder. Ah. You think it would be quite hard to be a grown up if you can't read? Yeah, yeah. it's harder to learn. Because there are some grown-ups who can't read, you know. There are not a lot in our country. I remember that lady who, who can't even read. What, what, which lady? The lady when we went to the... The, no, when we, the one when we went to the Kalil, the place with the lady. Oh, yeah, and she, she couldn't read. Yeah. Oh, you're thinking about... In Forty Hall, yes. so there was yeah. Well, she was pretending because she was pretending to 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 act uh, somebody who worked in a kitchen a long time ago in Forty Hall, wasn't she? She was dressed in all those clothes. And you're right. A long time ago, people who worked in kitchens weren't able to read. So she was saying, "I can't read," but that was because she was pretending to be uh, to be a person from a long time ago. Um, but yeah, but there are people who can't read, and a long time ago. People who worked in kitchens, they they couldn't read. They just knew how to work in kitchen. How can they read recipes? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, mostly they didn't read recipes. They just told them to each other. And they learnt them from another person. They could do it. Or they could they could have one with pictures. Like, yeah. So you could, like, guess what to do. Yeah. There might be... There might be like a picture of first yeah. you you make the dough. Yeah. Then, then you could <laughs> then you roll it a rolling pin. Yeah, you like cooking too, aren't you? You don't you're quite good at cooking. And uh, you could guess those things then yeah. that you could like put like then you could bake it in the other lad. Yeah. And then you could like, like do another thing. Yeah, because you could do cooking even if you couldn't read, but it'd be much trickier, wouldn't it? Could like might be a pitch. Yeah. But what you could guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like in my, like in my cooking book, it's like pictures. Yeah. And there's all you can do is write. Yeah. That's right, but it is easier if you know how to read. Do you think we should do cooking in schools? Do you think that that would be the best thing we could do in schools, or is writing more important than reading? <laughs> oh, well, thank you for, for talking as the mini-humanist, Bobby. And say bye-bye. Bye! So this is Barnet Humanists, recording live from the Courthouse Cafe in Barnet. Um, Ali is here. Hello. <laughs> and uh, I'm, we're going to be recording about school funding, cuts, PTA fundraising and uh, independent versus state school funding. So I suppose as humanists, we're pretty interested in education and how it all works. And my kids have been uh, in a local school here, so I've got sort of an experience to share and I think Ali's got his own. Um, so we'll, we can start on school funding. I'm just gonna pull up my wonderful teachers union fact sheet here. Yeah, the first thing I wanted to bring up was sort of to get what, whatever, what your views are, Ali, because I think Ryu's starting school, right, in, uh, in a local, yeah, so I, local I, um, place. Uh, I, I don't know much about the education system in the UK, but um, I've, uh, I have two children, and one of them is starting school uh, in September. And we went along to um, 
uh, a school kind of a, pre- a preparation thing and parents evening for uh, parents of kids who are just starting school in September. Yeah. And they uh, they they started talking about the head teacher started talking about budget cuts and how uh, they you know they've they've had to cut something like thirty two thousand pounds over the past year and but still without you know laying people off mm, yeah. um, and it just didn't make much sense to me because this was in um, a relatively affluent area you know um, everybody pays a, a decent amount of, of council tax I, yeah. I don't understand um, why this this is necessary and and the head teacher as well so that you know like there, there's there's nothing left to cut there's no no more that we can afford to, yeah. to give away uh, put away so um yeah, that's, that's See, my first kind of interaction. So, so then my first thought on what you're saying, I'm not sure that school funding comes from council tax. I okay, think, it, may, it may not come from council yeah. tax, you're right. You're right. But, I, but I think it does, because one of the, the, the things I've, I've got here is just, this is from the ATL, this is the, it's a union, teachers union, so it's probably biased against the government at the moment, they're not exactly big fans. <clears throat> but fine. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they've got a statistic here that by 2022, 93% of schools will have a per-pupil funding cut and that the average cut to primary schools is going to be £86,951. And the average cut to secondary schools will be 370298 I mean, I'm a little bit sceptical of these figures as I look at them, because how do they know the, how the hell the world's going to go by 2022? Yeah. It's a, it's a bit weird. So, so as, you know, yeah, you can go get some, Bubby. You know, ask, ask nicely in the cafe. <laughs> So I, I don't know how they come to that, like, what are we, 2017, that, you know, five-year projection even. They don't even know if Theresa May is going to be in office in, like, two months' time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but it must be centralized funding from the Depart- Department for Education. Uh, although, like, uh, yeah, a lot of school policy is decided by the local education authority, the LEA. It's the DFE that provides the money. And it's, just like, f- really annoying school jargon, but it makes a difference. Um, right. So they, they've come up with this figure, taking into account freezes on a per-pupil funding proposed to cut the education services grant and the proposed introduction of a new national funding formula. So those two figures of 86,951 and 37298 must be a projection of the current cuts uh, then pushed over up to 2022. But the, uh, the point is to kind of scare the bejesus yeah. out of you. When well, you I mean, this is, but this is one of the things that... Um, the head teacher at the school we went to so she said, you know, the you, you may have the feeling, you know, especially if you're you're more, more level-headed, that you know the media is overblowing the budget cuts. Yeah. They're talking about that it's a, you know it's a, big, a whole lot of fuss for no reason that it's you know the the liberal side of the the sort of political spectrum um, being overly biased. And she said, rest assured that that may be the case in other uh, areas, but in this case, that's not true at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, these budget cuts are real, and they are making it very very difficult for us to operate. Um, and it I, seems to me from what you were saying that like the school that you're talking about is hardly like the management or some kind of like labor stronghold it didn't, it didn't, kind of it didn't, I mean like this, this is this is not like biased yeah, it's, you know it's, it's not like a mining town or, and this, is, or and this is not like um, like the dangerous mines of, of, of North London this is not like a school where kids are stabbing each other and stuff this is like an a, a yeah. upper middle class like school right? yeah like um, and even if it was, it wouldn't be any better. But but still, like it's it's not something that, that I expect going in. Sure. Uh, especially since that um, even with those budget cuts, uh, the level of professionalism that they were operating on in just the first you know three hours of interacting with them was yeah. kind of amazing. Like, we were, we were quite blown away with just the, how well organised they were. And this is from 
my wife as well, who who worked in in the Japanese education system for ten plus years, and she was like, yeah, they, they do a lot of good things. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I mean, I, I have to say, like, uh, I suspect, I think, following on on what you're saying, that like, the, if there was a bias. In terms of sort of the ideological bias of the people running that school, if anything, they would be quite skeptical of labor. Right. Because... Yes, that's the... I mean, that's the... the vibe you'd get off of them because of the neighborhood, because of the sorts of people you're dealing with. We're in Chipping Barnet where we... I mean, we we did well in the last election, (laughs) but we're still a conservative hold. So, yeah, yeah, and have been conservative for... I think the since records began, like this yeah, or yeah. something like that. So um, and, and in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a teacher too. Well, full disclosure, I'm not going to sort of state the, the place I work at, uh, work in for for obvious reasons. But uh, I'm a teacher, and I worked in state-funded schools, in state schools, uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s, when labor had an absolute, you know, iron hold over education. And I certainly saw when there were these ridiculous programs being set up by Labour, right, where schools, there was this Building Schools for the Future program. So back in the 1990s, 2000s, you, somebody would say, OK, we're going to build a school in the shape of a pineapple because somebody somewhere published something in Norway so saying pineapples <laughs> are like really good for learning, right? And we want a school that's going to be billions of pounds worth of investment to set up this school where everything can be moved around and the classrooms are not real classrooms they're sort of like space age rooms and you know and it was it was really obvious that the money was just totally overblown and it were ridiculous projects so my my sort of background is also of being really biased against the way that labor used to go about school funding and there was vast amounts of money being siphoned off to government controlled training agencies and you know it took twenty thousand pounds to put a newly qualified teacher through three sessions of training where was that money all going like there were very good reasons why the conservatives got people on board to be skeptical about all of this at the time but now we're facing a situation where like yeah your school is having to literally fundraise to pay for like chairs and desks and uh, it's nuts and, and uh, we have found the same in the school where our kids are here in Barnet which as you say is an affluent area yeah, like, there's I, money yeah, well that's the thing that also got me this is public education right so um, uh, there was this appeal you know they said they were having these cuts and there was this appeal they said look um, the PTA please get involved with the PTA they raise you know 12 15,000 uh, pounds a year for us and I thought to myself um, uh, you know that, that's nice and I'd love to help but I'm also pay, paying considerably more than that in tax right like so um yeah uh, what, what why what I don't see um, why we should be obliged to, to help make up for those cuts with this non-public money that you know donations yeah. from parents and people who have an interest in the school it, it, I mean that should like it shouldn't be something that I think is is, is expected the, the parents are expected to raise on behalf of the school what I don't get is like since the Conservatives came to power. That's that's enough, Matthew. It's okay. We're, uh, since Labour came to power, sorry, since the Conservatives came to power, um, where is the money? So, uh, like austerity, I I can I might even be able to get on board with austerity to a degree. Right? Again, seeing the ridiculous overspending that happened under Labour, I can get on board with some version of austerity when you actually see where the money has gone. Right? If right. it's like we're going to cut this money and we've put it towards this or we've paid down this amount of money on a national, when there's an actual plan with it. But what I'm seeing right now is we don't really know.
So the courthouse conversation with Ali got cut a little bit short. We were asked to leave the place we were talking in because there was a kid's party, actually. So I suppose there's a deep message in all of that about humanist parents and, you know, the efforts we try to make to talk about important issues and the various challenges we face. But here I am now recording in Hyde Park. So you're going to hopefully hear some parakeets in the background and uh, it'll be lovely. There'll be a little bit of background noise, but there was in the previous recording too. And I suppose that's the reality of recording outdoors and trying to get a sense of place, which you get in this very brilliant local podcast. So I thought I'd allow myself a bit of a rant now because um, I didn't get to make some of the points or raise the points that I wanted to talk through with Ali and the rest of that conversation. So I'll just make them here as a monologue. So I pulled up a report. This is a two, June 2017, pretty recent report. Uh, it's entitled Talking Heads, the Views of London's School Leaders on Future Challenges. Pretty interesting reading, and I first found it through the Evening Standard that cited it in one of their articles. The language of the Evening Standard article was a little bit more dramatic about all the school cuts faced um, by London schools and the deterioration of standards and the concerns of school heads and etc. The language of this report is a lot more measured, but I thought I'd talk about it as a contrast to the piece that I brought up with Ali, which was an article taken from the ATL, that's the Association of Teachers and Lecturers magazine, pretty alarmist language about the scale of budget cuts that schools face and the consequences of those budget cuts. I hope this isn't too boring to everybody listening, and I'm going to try and make it lively enough, but I think we do need a bit of context and some facts in order to know what we're talking about in terms of education and what some of the current challenges really are. So I'm going to use a little snippet from the Talking Heads report to bring up really what head teachers and schools have flagged up as their concerns over what the the result of budget cuts proposed by the current Tory government in the UK, uh, what those consequences really are. What this means to people on the ground, I suppose. And I dug a little, this is from the conclusions of that June 2017 Talking Heads report. Responses showed how London school leaders are passionate about working to improve progress and attainment for children in the schools, in their schools and how their focus rests on minimising the impact of recent budgetary pressures on pupil outcomes. Nevertheless, they also reveal the system under strain and facing increased fixed costs, even prior to the introduction of the NFF. So this is the National Schools Funding Programme. So I'm reading into that language that these are schools that are not trying to be alarmist, and they're not sort of rushing to the newspapers in order to flag up their concerns. They're saying we really are doing our best to manage these budget cuts and we're not being alarmist about them. But as you'll see, they're going to go on to say, but there are consequences. You cut the budgets of schools drastically and there's less money and fewer resources. Well, the result is that you'll get less with less, not more with less. So I'm back to the report now, I'm reading on. Media reports released as this research was being conducted prior to the general election closely mirror the findings in the interviews. They describe drastic cuts to teaching assistants and support staff, growing class sizes, a narrowing of the curriculum, and a thinning of enrichment activities 
with increasing reports of teacher cuts and redundancies, which in the past were seen as a last resort. And that sentence is packed, and there's a footnote for each one of those consequences, if you will, from the uh, budget cuts. What they're effectively saying there is that the newspapers are not being alarmist, are not inflating the results of these budget cuts, that there really are real cuts. If you have fewer support staff, if you have growing class sizes, if you have a thinning of enrichment activities, right? all of this because there's less money in there, therefore fewer resources, then there are consequences that it's going to be a worsening curriculum or a lot of good things being done in schools that can no longer be done. Reading on. While teachers are proud of their schools and reluctant to surrender the pressures that they are facing, many admitted that they saw no alternative to a deterioration in the level of progress and attainment that has been so applauded in London schools in the recent past. Again, I, th I almost feel like there should be some sort of dramatic you know, film trailer music as I read that sentence. That's massive. Right? These are teachers and heads of schools and teaching assistants, people who really are on the front lines of education, who are saying children will not be getting as good an education as before. Right? These cuts have affected the performance and the progress of students. And schools in London that have in the past attained very good results or had what's called the jargon in education is very good value added. So in other words, children might come into your classroom in London who, for instance, have no English whatsoever. I have an EAL, English as an additional language background, and you bring them up to a level which might not be A or A star in their writing, but you bring them up to a working level of English from little or nothing to begin with. So your, your results, your actual grades and exams might not be stellar, and your Ofsted report might not be outstanding for the actual performance of the students all around, but the value that you've added to those students who've arrived in your school is huge. That's one of the things that London schools do very, very well. They also have gifted and talented programs or special educational needs programs. Right, this, coming from the independent sector, I can tell you that London state schools have worked over 30, 40 years to put all those programs into place and it really is a social leveller. You get kids who come out of schools in deprived parts of London with an education that gives them real opportunities later in life and they can get themselves to universities or they can start businesses and they're literate and numerate. These things matter, it counts. And the cuts that have been just really, I suppose, macheted across the board in schools all across the country have had effect. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Please get in touch at Barnet Humanist on Twitter, barnethumanist at gmail.com if you'd like to be interviewed or suggest a mini humanists interview or discussion topic. Next week is going to be should we be allowed to beat children or use force with children? And we're going to have that discussion with some children. Also upcoming, I'm going to be interviewing Lisa Lau uh, with her a review of Arundhati Roy's new novel. 
and I'm going to be interviewing a spokesperson from the London Satanic Temple. So watch this space for that. Until then, take care.